Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I'm thrilled to welcome back John Rosengren to the show. I spoke with John previously about his high school hockey book called Blades of Glory, which I fell in love with as a hockey player and a hockey fan. And he just wrote a book, Classic Baseball, Timeless Tales, Immortal Moments, and it's an absolute treat. It's a collection of several of his articles bound together over different topics. So we talk about that in depth. I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get there, I do need to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, without further ado, my conversation with the incredible John Rosengren is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I am beyond excited to bring this individual back to the podcast. Yes, it is the incredible John Rosengren. I think I am the president of the John Rosengren Fan Club. But yes, John, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Joe. Well, thanks. Uh, boy, uh, you're setting the bar high for me to live up to here. <laughs> I couldn't be happier when I saw that you were putting out a book, and not just any book, but this book that we're going to talk about today, Classic Baseball, Timeless Tales, Immortal Moments, a collection of all of these different articles and pieces that you've written over the years, specifically about baseball. And what's interesting to me, too, is that I think when we think about things that are iconic American pieces, right? We think of baseball, there's a joke, baseball, apple pie, 4th of July, all of these things are true. And then when you read a book like classic baseball, you might enter in going, oh, I'm excited to read about people like Jackie Robinson, Kirby Puckett, all of these individuals that I know. And then you find that there's this incredible human human element that I think we, we, we as fans of the sport may forget from time to time. And it's nice to be able to hear the background and the details of these individuals in their lives. So we're going to get into all of that. I've got a lot of notes and I'm excited to talk about. But first, here at the Detox Podcast, we do invite people to quote unquote detox from the world around them uh, and get a window into how other people live their lives. So John, I'm going to start and ask you this question. What are you currently detoxing from? You mean what am I trying to get away from? Yes. (laughs) Yes. What are you trying to uh, like put some space between in your life? <laughs> the lousy weather we've had here in Minneapolis. <laughs> it's been snowing the last couple of weeks and unfortunately it has been stained, but uh, we've got a lot of gray skies and cold weather. So I'm looking forward to warmer temps. Very nice. Down here in Texas, it is, it cannot make up its mind. Uh, it was near 90 last week and then it's dipped down to 55 and then we're, we're all over the map, but that's a bit par for the course down here in, in Texas. Um, 
But John, let me ask you this to get started. I would say, and this is probably a, a, a bit of an easy question to start out with for, or maybe not easy, but a bit more common is what I would say. Um, but why this particular book and why now? Well, you know, it's actually a little embarrassing because most books are born of ambition. This one was born of sloth. I was uh, sitting around thinking, how can I make some money without having to do any work? And I knew I had this body of articles that I'd written and thought maybe I could put those together and make a book. Yeah. And um, sure enough, I found a publisher who was interested, but then they asked me to write introductions and uh, postscripts. I would update my readers on what was going on with the subjects in the story. Turned out to be more work than I anticipated. But I got to say, I'm quite happy with how it turned out. And I really love the cover that they put on oh, there. Yes. I know your listeners can't see that, but it's a- We'll put pictures in the show notes, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it evokes, I think, all those memories of nostalgia that we associate with baseball. So um, I was happy with how it turned out. I uh, So I, I had the exact same feeling the very first time that I picked up the book. I'm looking at it right now. And the, the, the imagery, the baseball imagery, like it's so interesting how we can uh, associate smells with, with a lot of images. And so I can just smell the leather and I can smell the grass and I can smell the peanuts and the popcorn. And I can just, I can, I, I'm given a, a bit of a cornucopia of, of smells when I, when I see the image and it transports well, how about the, me. To how that about time. the wet saturating that worn <laughs> baseball, right? <laughs> right. Smell that. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I didn't smell that particular part, but uh, <laughs> but I think you know, for me, what was really interesting is I would say so. I like a lot of other, uh, I would say, American children grew up around baseball, played catch with my dad. Like that was those were staples. Went went to the Texas Rangers game down here. Um, saw a lot of great Nolan Ryan moments and not a lot much else. Um, but. I grew up enjoying that staple of my childhood and although I didn't why well, though I didn't play baseball it still held a specific um a specific uh place in my heart as far as growing up in the nostalgia and and so what was interesting in a lot of ways um one one thing that I did do so I want to tie this back uh, in growing up uh, my dad worked for a lot of minor league hockey teams. And so I grew up in, in that kind of arena. So playing hockey and then growing up around teams like the Fort Worth Fire, the Central Hockey League, the Fort Worth Brahmas, the Western Professional Hockey League, and then later Central Hockey League. And so one of the stories, one thing that I really like about your book is you highlight both moments in time and specific character, uh, specific individuals and, and how they are characters and their stories and their backgrounds. And your story about Mark Hamburger really resonated with me because in a lot of ways it reminded me of growing up being in the locker rooms of those minor league hockey players and hearing their stories some of whom had brushed greatness quote unquote right been in the majors maybe have dropped down and 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 then there's a mixture of players that are coming up and there's there's a lot there, there's a piece in Mark Hamburger's story about um, the life that he's lived and so bringing all of that back around to say what was it like for you to start writing about and covering baseball and and approaching it from the the storytelling aspect? So not just covering the games and the stats, and this is what happened with the twins, but specifically about Mark and his story and what it how it can resonate with an audience. 
the attraction of baseball for me lies not in just recounts of games, um, but of the moments in games that define what will make them memorable or the individuals in them and what they're experiencing or the, the, the uh, drama that's playing out in their lives while they're on the field. And Mark Hamburger was one of those people who just embodied so much of this. Um, he's a guy who had the talent to pitch in the major leagues, um, got busted for smoking marijuana, was um, went through treatment, and then changed his life. And so I was sitting in the dugout at CHS Field, home of the St. Saint Paul Saints, which are an independent or then were an independent uh, league class A equivalent team. And Hamburger had grown up in St. Paul. So he'd decided or chosen rather than uh, go back to the big leagues where he had a chance to be a reliever to stick with his hometown team and play because um, he wanted to start, be a starting pitcher. And he'd like found this contentment and peace. And it seems so counterculture because just about everybody playing professional baseball is aspiring to uh a major league roster spot, not just that, but to be a star on the team and right. uh, to hit the game seven winning hit on um, or the walk off on, uh, in the World Series or, you know, throw the final strikeout. And so he just, he was such an, un, he was so unusual in that way, but he also had a depth to his personality and his spirit that I just found uh, quite charming. And, and I think I was trying to, at the time, I, I was trying to remember. Um, but I'm pretty sure in my nearly 40 years of covering uh, different sports and athletes and, you know, telling stories, he was the first guy who ever offered me a drink. Yeah. When I, he, he came into the clubhouse where I was waiting for him and introduced himself, shook my hand, and they said, can I get you a, a water or something? <laughs> it's like, what professional athlete does that? You know, they're still yeah. just pampered and taken care of and uh, massaging their ego yeah. that uh, – he, to have a guy like that uh, extend that sort of um, hospitality and graciousness yeah. right away made a favorable impression on me. Yeah. I, it's, I was trying to articulate this to, to my wife after reading specifically that story. Mm. And um, uh, I'm going to do my best to articulate it here. One of the things, um, and I promise the listeners, this is not going to be a, a gush fest, right, throughout all this. But I will say one of the things I appreciate Go ahead. Uh, right, Go ahead. <laughs> that I truly appreciate about your writing is you have the ability to take something like baseball, as an example, and make me care about this individual named Mark Hamburger and want to know everything about him. And you, what you've done for me as a reader is you've connected me to the human aspect of this other individual to where I deeply and profoundly care about what happens to him. And if you had told me that I would care about a minor league pitcher, like just wrote it out on paper, I'd be like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to care about this. Like, okay, good luck to him. Like, I, what, what does he have to do with my life? But when you connect the journey and the arc that he's gone through, the ups and the downs and the contentment, I see a parallel in certain ways with my own life. And I can, and I'm reflecting on the contentment that I've gotten to and, and the journey I've taken to do that. So I want to say to you, what 
Because I, I've noticed that that continues, whether it's Blades of Glory, whether it's this book, whether it's different articles, that the, the connection, the human connection. And so how do you, how do you continue to find that connection in anything that you are approaching, whether it's short or long form? How do you continue to seek out that, that through point? I think it's looking at what we have in common and, uh, you know, our shared experience as human beings. And, and uh, we're basically at a fundamental level, I think, so much more like than we are different. We want to be loved. We want to have a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, find our place in the world. And so uh, when I, I approach a subject like that, uh, rather than looking at what's different between us and what separates us, um, I think... It, the person comes more alive for me and becomes more interesting to me. And um, so Mark Ambergo is an easy example of that. Plus he had a great name and there's that quip. He, he was traded for Eddie Guardardo <laughs> at one point and Guardardo said, what? I was traded for a hamburger? <laughs> that was, that was an excellent line. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you know, it's even, it's even too like, with whole communities so you've got the story about the this baseball snowshoe game right the league and and that was just, i i i read it and i'm continuing to read it and i'm like i don't understand like what am i reading this community is playing baseball in snowshoes in june what in the world? But just the the story of this community coming together to support each other, and then you know, yes, there people are coming in, and so the the economy boom for for the local community, and then they're selling pies, and just it's the communal aspect of it. You even have a line in there of like a scene which Norman Rockwell would envy, right? Or, or I'm paraphrasing, but but something to that effect. So I want to know how do you? So from that perspective, I'm curious of. How do you find a lot of these stories to then say, ooh, what's under here? Let me dig in further. Well, I was that one. I was doing an article about Milwaukee and its various festivals uh, staged down by the river uh, lakefront in summertime. And I was looking at a travel um, booklet that the state put out and I came across and this was back in the days uh, in the nineties before I did all my research online, but I was looking at a, uh, this brochure and I came across just a, a sentence where it said Lake Tomahawk snowshoe baseball capital of the world. <laughs> well, that got my attention. Right. So I called the chamber of commerce, Lake Tomahawk. I said, what is this? And they said, Oh, you got to talk to Larry Christensen. He's the guy who runs the league. So I call Larry <laughs> and uh, you know, I just love that too. Small town. Yeah. Here's his phone number. Right. So anyway, call Larry. And he's this guy in his 60s. And I said, so you play snowshoe baseball? He said, yeah, in the summertime. I said, what? I, I, how do you do that? He said, well, we spread um, sawdust down in the infield. I said, what about in the outfield? He said, oh, and he laughed. You can always tell the outfielders because there's a, they're the guys with the scraped elbows from falling in the gravel. <laughs> and I thought... I got to see this. Right. And so I went out there to watch a game and I just love it. I mean, really, it is a great slice of Americana, an example of what uh, baseball can do for a small community yeah. and bring people together. I mean, they line up their, their, they, they stake out their places with blankets and the bleachers or lawn chairs along the, uh, yeah. the foul lines and, uh, you know, days in advance of the games. 
it's just wonderful. It's uh, I encourage everybody to go to Lake Tomahawk in central Wisconsin to see this played in the summertime. I love the ability to, you know, as we're talking about the the human aspects, right? So the ability to connect with um, a community, even just like a community of people that you might think I don't have anything in common with, and and the ability to just have a communal experience does wonders uh, for individuals, and and just the ability to go then reinforces that we have so much more in common than, than we don't. And you get to have those conversations and you get to develop those relationships and you start to see like, you know what? Uh, we may be more alike than I think. And, and whether we're bonding over laughing about the outfielders trying to catch a ball in snowshoes, right. Or we're eating an, a piece of apple pie or what have you. It, it's nice to have that experience, have us reminded of the ability that we do have that capability to get together and, and fellowship, right. And share and, and just have that communal experience. You know, you talked about speaking of the uh, shared experience, you have the story of Cooperstown or bust uh, about going to the national baseball hall of fame with your dad. And mm-hmm. it was, it resonated so much with me because we have the, the, you talk a lot about the the memories and talking to your dad about these specific memories that he witnessed and and sh- and bonding over the nostalgia and just feeling the weight of history in the room. And so, what was first of all? I want to know what was it like for you to experience that situation or that trip, and then get to write about it. And then, how do you continue to keep? keep the spirit of your dad alive in, in your writings? Well, baseball lends itself to the oral tradition. The pace of the game is such that between pitches, often it's an elder with a youngster. And in my case, it was my father with me at Met Stadium in Bloomington, Minnesota, watching the Minnesota Twins, where he'd be telling me stories of his past watching baseball games about guys he admired. He'd be telling me, um, so I'm getting history of the game. I'm getting his personal history. He's also explained the rules to me. I'm even getting his values, you know, him saying that he doesn't think we should boo the umpire because we trust that he's doing his best uh, as he can. And so there's all this that I'm absorbing about baseball and about life and about love from my father uh, during the course of the game that really formed a bond between us and so as I write in that essay, the summer before he died, he granted me one final wish to go to Cooperstown. We'd never, neither one of us had been to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So we made that trip together and it etched these indelible memories on in me. And I think for to um, the way I keep my father alive in me and, and in my children and, and others is by talking about him or writing about him so that, um, his memory can live on. And certainly his love of baseball lives on in me. And I um, tried to pass that on to my kids. It, it, the seed uh, bloomed briefly for both of them, my daughter and son uh, who played. And then I was at a spring training game with my son in Arizona and Phoenix. And uh, he was about 13 years old. We're sitting out on the grass in the outfield, you know, just above yeah. the fence. Um, there's a berm and where fans can sit and it's a beautiful sunny day. And, you know, it's probably like 40 below in Minnesota and we're in soaking up the sun in Phoenix. And I'm thinking, 
isn't this wonderful? And the seventh inning, my son says, you know, I've decided I don't like baseball anymore. Oh. <laughs> it just crushed me. But, you know, it's like part of being a parent is let your kids find their own way and, yep. and, and their own, become their own person. So I had to let go of that. But still, when I can talk about my father or, uh, you know, even get in touch with him through my own love of the game, yeah. um, I feel him uh, his, his stirring and uh, still alive and well within me. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's um, it. I find um, those abilities to to have uh, a shared love uh, of a sport or or an event or be able to get to go uh, as a father. That's something that I look forward to and enjoy. And and so the uh, I'm a huge soccer fan. And so the World Cup uh, is coming. Uh, it's a World Cup year. And so uh, in the 2018 World Cup, I was disappointed because the U.S. men didn't qualify. And, and so I watched it, but I was not as engaged as when the U.S. is there. And so um, I'm excited to have a lot of those shared experiences. My kids are older now. I can have, you know, we can talk about it. We can go see um, see a few things. So it's it's nice to be able to have, like, start forming those memories now and, and then be able to continue throughout in the way and I'm going to I'm going to circle back as well but I want to talk about for for a moment it was very powerful to me the way you chose to end the book with the Sandy Koufax story and Sandy Koufax specifically uh sitting out uh game one of the world series in order to observe Yom Kippur am I getting that right or is yeah yeah and and the yes okay and the weight of that decision and you talk about like there's some myth and there's some like you know who knows where he went did he go to temple did he not go to temple which rabbi came by or whatnot and but the point the point within all of, and then, and then you also talk about like Sandy had said like, yes, well, I always set out the high holy days is what I did. And you're like, well, actually he suited up here. He played there, whatever. But what was powerful to me was his recognition of his stance in the baseball community, in, in just the actual, like our cultural understanding of who he was as a player and as an individual and in the Jewish community as well, for him to sit out carried a lot of weight. And you talk there about, about, about now children and, and other individuals are, are feeling empowered to take the day off work and to not, um, to recognize the significance of the day in their religion and in their faith that they probably would not have felt that they had the almost permission to do had someone of Sandy Koufax's level of visibility not done the same thing. So what was it like from your, so I want to know what was your intention or your decision to, to end the book with that story specifically? Uh, and then I also would like to know what was it, what was it like for you to write about someone? You use the word someone having that multicultural identity, um, and be able to cover that story. Well, I think I just ran out of stories. That was the last one I had, so it came last. No, uh, it's a story that I love because I was, um, in 1965, I was just a year old, so I wasn't 
old enough or conscious enough to be aware of what was going on with the Twins and the Dodgers and the World Series here and how significant that was. I mean, the Twins had only been in Minnesota four years and it was a big deal that or this was their fifth year. So it was a big deal that they were uh, in the World Series it meant a lot to this community. Right. And I remember hearing my father speak about that. But um, the what really uh, looms over, I think, defines the 1965 World Series is Sandy Koufax's decision to sit out Yom Kippur in game one. You know, he won game seven, but more people are more likely to remember his decision not to pitch on uh, the first game. And of course, here in the Twin Cities, uh, there's a lot of lore about that. And every rabbi in town uh, claims that Koufax was in his synagogue uh, on that day. Truth is, he wasn't any in any of their synagogues right. that day. But um, I think I was just fascinated by the story and also what this meant to the Jewish people to have. He really validated the Jewish experience in America, yeah. um, not just by being a star on the World Series winning team, but by observing his tradition and sitting out the game uh, in deference to it. And so he honored um, the, the Jewish tradition in that decision, putting it before baseball. Yeah. And I think that just meant so much to so many Jewish Americans. Um, I mean, he became such a hero. And, and you know, how does a guy do that by not playing? Right. You know, <laughs> God, if that could be my claim to fame, you know, that I didn't play, I, I should be in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, it, it's, it's like an act of, of omission that made him such a hero. Um, but in truth, you know, it was a courageous decision. And I think that's what people admired him for. Um, and of course, then there's the uh, the footnote where Don Drysdale pitched in his place in that first game. He was getting shelled. And when the manager, Walt Alston, came out to pull him, um, Drysdale quipped, I bet you wish I were Jewish too. <laughs> <laughs> and had set out as well. Um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think about a modern day comparison. And I know it's not, it's not faith based, but the fact that, for example, Simone Biles made the conscious decision to sit out the Olympics because of, in her situation, her own mental health. I know I, well, I would say, let me back up and say, I know of, because I've heard from other individuals, specifically women in a lot of instances, and, and also women of color who have said, I have felt empowered to put me first for the first time ever. And I felt like I needed to power through a lot of um, things because that was what was expected of me and I shouldn't talk back or I shouldn't raise my hand or, or step back or whatever. And so the fact that someone at that level said, no, I need to put myself first for these reasons and I'm not going to apologize for it, opened the door for other people to do the same. So when I'm reading the story about Sandy Koufax saying, no, I'm putting my faith first and this is a conscious decision, it then empowered so many people to say, you know what, I'm going to do that as well. I'm going to put my faith first because this is what matters to me. And so I, it's so interesting to me how something that happened back in, was it 65? Am, am I remembering that correctly? Is that what you said? Yeah. Something that happened in 65 is as true then as it is in when in 2022 or 2021 last year, right? We're still seeing um, those comparable uh, situations. Um, but yet, but yet I think sometimes we still need someone at that level to, to make that step and make that stand or not. And then, and then that opens the door for others. Um, 
So I, yeah, I, I was struck by that. May say, I, I mean, a good for Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, and others who mm-hmm. have um, stood up for themselves, advocated for themselves, and I think advanced awareness of mental illness yes. and self-care. Um, however, I think perhaps a since Sandy Koufax was doing this, not just for himself, but in deference to his people, yep. um, I think maybe a more apt comparison is Colin Kaepernick, who yes. took a knee you are correct. and said, yep. um, this is for you know all of Black America yep. and how we're being treated, and I am going to take a stand, uh, slight pun intended, <laughs> ironically, you know, on right. a knee. But um, so it was, it, it was something bigger than himself. Yep. You know, that Koufax, his action was bigger than himself. Yeah. And uh, Kaepernick's as well, bigger than himself. And of course, um, Kaepernick's had more political overtures to it and so faced more uh, um, criticism, I think, or, or even skepticism. But right. uh, still, I think it was equally courageous, uh, or maybe even more so, um, yeah. take the stand he did. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That's a that's a that's a good note because that is a a more apt comparison in the sense of making the intentional decision to do it for a large a large population of in, of your community in Colin Kaepernick's situation. So, I want to know circling back to the book. I've got two questions. So, first off, I want to know what do you hope people walk away Having finished the book, what is the one thing you want people to feel when they're done, when they've closed the last, the last page of the book? It's a good question, and and I never quite know. I mean, on one level, I want people to be entertained, to enjoy sure. these stories. Um, on another, maybe a deeper level, if they feel some sort of spiritual connection or emotional connection to the people and the situation I'm writing about. Um, you know, maybe they'll feel um, empowered or emboldened themselves um, by the, because so many of the people I'm writing about in this story or in these stories have um, achieved a sort of greatness and and in that way shown us what we're capable of, what the the human um, condition can be. And so maybe, uh, you know, like I, I'm thinking of Frank Robinson, who was the first black man hired to manage a team in major leagues and just the the courage it took yes. for him to step into that role and face the criticism he did and yet how he bore it gracefully and um you know so that shows us as an example of of who we can be and how we can uh uh enter into the world and so uh, at the risk of seem grand, seeming grandiose <laughs> if someone takes that away from that you know inspired by his courage to act more courageously in their life wonderful i love that thank you for sharing and then i gotta know what i know they're probably all your favorites but what what out of the book what are what's probably one or two of your favorite stories that you wrote that you included in the book well, there's this, there are two that I read about my father, of course, the one you mentioned about Cooperstown and the one about his glove, and those have a deep personal significance to me. But as far as, um, and then there's some subjects that I think are really fun. We talked about snowshoe baseball. I also love the baseball reliquary, yes. which celebrates the quirkiness of the game. And then there's some, you know, like the, the clan, the day the clan played yes. the Black Monrovian team um, in a baseball game. I mean, that was just so astounding that I, I, I like that one. But the 
as far as like the writing and just one of the characters itself, La Tortuga, the piece about the profile of Williams Estadio. I had so much fun writing that. And I, I read it the other night at a, a bookstore where I was doing an event. And I just, I, you know, I just read part of it, but it's because it's long, but I um, just so enjoyed revisiting that piece and uh, the quirkiness of his character. And uh, I liked some of the lines I had. So um, if I had to pick one just for the writing itself, that, that'd be the one. Uh, that is a fantastic story. I think I I also love the way you started it with the the fight that that changed everything, um, and the, how the two players then were able to make amends and and be lifelong friends years later because you know in part because they were both changed right because of that that one altercation on on the field and so and of course. I, I'm not as well versed in baseball players' names, so I do have to go back and remind myself that that's that Juan was and John Roseboro. Yes, that's right. Thank you. And it's that, that image that probably many of your listeners know of uh, Marshall bringing his bat down on the head of John Roseboro. Right. And that moment inextricably connected these two men, and sadly, it defined both of them. Yeah. Because that's not who they were. But you know how we often, uh, unfortunately, can characterize people by perhaps their worst moment exactly. uh, unfairly. And so that story was uh, one of two men being able to rise above that yeah. and to reconcile and rewrite their stories and their ending and uh, form this friendship. I mean, that's such a beautiful story. I mean, like I, I was so taken by it. I ended up writing a book on it called yeah. The Fight of Their Lives. Right. And, but it, when I, I initially did it as an article and I, I was just so moved by, when I heard that story of them uh, reconciling, I thought I got to write about this. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, John, if people want to buy the book, what's the best way for them to do it? I, what do you prefer, I would say? Well, I love it when people support their local independent bookseller. And if they don't have it on the shelf, they can order it through their local independent bookseller. Um, also, of course, there is Amazon uh, for the convenience. Uh, people can use that or they can get it at their local library. And again, if their library doesn't have a copy, they can request it and the library will usually order a copy. So um, there are various means they can use to get it. Also, I, I like thrift books um, or... Um, uh, Indie Bound is a website where people can order books online from independent booksellers. That's Indie Bound. So uh, there are various ways. Uh, there's no excuse for people not to get this book. That's true. And read it cover to cover. That is right. And then they will be uh, converted to lifelong John Rosengren fans like myself. Um, so now <laughs> we're going we're gonna to shift to the last part of the episode. So it is things to check out. It is a segment where I provide something I'm either watching, reading, or listening to. And I invite my guests to do the same. So obviously we talked about classic baseball, timeless tales, immortal moments. If you haven't picked it up, please do so. John also mentioned the book he wrote, The Fight of Their Lives. Go check that out. I mentioned Blades of Glory that John wrote. So please go check all of those out. Um, in addition, since this is baseball that we're talking about, I want to provide a baseball thing for folks to check out. Um, there is a podcast by Blue Wire Productions, I believe is what they're called. And the, the show is called American Prodigy. So each season they focus on a different athlete or a different series of athletes and how they are uh, American prodigies and, and where their life is taken. So season one talked about Freddie Adu, but season two was about Ken Griffey Jr. And mm -hmm. they detailed his life, his career, 
and uh, how he made, quote unquote, baseball look cool in the 90s and the effect that that had on baseball. And then how one day he just decided, I'm done and threw his stuff in the car and drove 23 hours home. And that was it. And uh, it was very interesting. So I highly recommend people go check that out. So, John, what are you reading, watching or listening to? Well, it's funny, uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic, it's the age of the show, right? right. What, what are we binging? Right. Well, lately, honestly, what I've been watching is Major League Baseball. I'm just so excited to have the season finally yes. start. And um, I, it's been fun for me to watch the Twins, though. I'm glad they're on the road because today it looks, although it's cold, it's sunny in Boston where they're playing this afternoon. Yep. So that's nice to see. But um, the other thing that I've been watching in the baseball season is Miguel Cabrera, who's closing in on uh, 3,000 hits. He had three yesterday, and so he's just six away. And I'm actually writing an article at the moment about a guy who has um, been tracking Major League Baseball players and watching them reach their 3,000th milestone in person since Hank Aaron and Willie Mays did it in 1960. Matter of fact, that's one of the stories in the book. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Fan. Yes. And I wrote about him when he was chasing Alex Rodriguez a few years ago. And so now I'm, I'm back uh, writing an article about him um, as he follows Cabrera. So I just spoke to him the other day and uh, he didn't think it was going to happen until later. Now I'm like, Seth, you better get on the ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to come soon. Yeah. Anyway, th those are the things I'm watching or I have my eyes on at the moment. I love it. Well, John, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? I have a website, johnrosengren.net. I'm also on Facebook, which is where I tend to post most often, uh, and LinkedIn, and I'm dormant on Twitter. <laughs> Though I have a handle, I hardly ever tweet. Very nice. Well, John, thank you so much for stopping by. Again, this has been a pleasure. I can't wait till you write something else so I can bring you back on and we can talk at length about it. Well, thanks so much, Joe. I appreciate your kind words and uh, nice to see you again. I appreciate it. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with Detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.